I will say a lot of utilities are thinking about their own clean energy future. At the end of the day, as a business, like they own the network, they own the wires. We're never going to rebuild the wires. That's like a trillion dollar infrastructure problem. For their future too, customers want cleaner energy. They just got to figure out how to actually manage it and deliver it. Energy. How do you disrupt an industry that is hundreds of years old and trillions of dollars strong? If we're going to take action against climate change in a real way, we have to shift the way we fulfill our energy needs. Kieran Batraju created Arcadia to supply a data-centric answer for the insatiable energy needs of the modern day. The battle against climate change is uphill and it will take creative solutions like this to bring us to a better place. Kieran, welcome to the show. Great to be here. All right, right out the gate. We ask this of all of our guests, but please tell us what is Arcadia and what does it do? Yeah, Arcadia is a SaaS platform. We unlock data, clean energy, uh, rates and tariffs, uh, basically help connect new energy companies to energy markets and utilities using software. Uh, we've managed uh, clean energy projects across the country and helped engage customers in accessing that clean energy um, all across the U.S. Yeah. So this is one of the interesting things I've always, I've learned a little bit about this industry. Of course, you know, significantly more about brokering and accessing. You just mentioned before energy for our audience. Who's never listened to one of those episodes or isn't familiar with this space. Give us an idea of how energy is made, purchased, distributed today. And then why there needs to be software at all for this. Cause you, you would think that, Hey, I build a power plant. I'm making power. I sell it to the grid. People are you consuming it? I build them. We're good to go. I don't, why do I need software? Give us an idea of what it is, how it works today, so our audience can get a framework of, in their mind of like, okay, this is the problem. Now here's the solution. Yeah, of course. So we, we joke in the office that um, it's death, taxes, and power bills. The three things <laughs> everyone uh, will sort of face in their life. Uh, everyone pays an energy bill. Every, frankly, everyone uses energy, right? It's the foundation of our economy. Right. You know, 100 plus years ago, you had uh, Edison, uh, the Edison company building sort of the first power plant centralized power plant. And, and now, you know, you see wires everywhere, right? That's the grid. And the grid is sort of broken up into three parts. You've got generation. So literally where the electrons being created in the past, coal, natural gas, nuclear, uh, and now more and more solar, wind, et cetera, hydro, you know, uh, hydro, geothermal. So you've got generation, they send power through large transmission lines. If you're driving down the highway and you see those big sort of oh, yeah. high voltage lines, and then they get into your town and city. That's the distribution grid. Uh, and that's how the power gets into your home, right? Or your business. And power in America has mostly been controlled by uh, geographic monopolies that own these wires, right? Uh, over 100 years ago, we sort of made the decision as a society to, to give these companies monopolies so that we didn't have hundreds of wires running through the streets. Now, that is sort of the structure of our market today. It's, it's sort of like the airport, right? It's public-private owned. Uh, you can, um, you know, it, it's sort of, uh, you know, the way we get energy in the U.S. is mostly through these, these utility companies. Now, where are we today? Mm -hmm. We've got thousands of new options, right? You've got new generation sources that people want to choose. They want cheaper, cleaner uh, electrons, right? Uh, instead of climate changing sort of fossil fuels powering the grid. 
being able to use energy at different times of the day, right? So energy is always on, right? It's not up until very recently, could you actually store it? Yeah. And what that means is you need to supply and demand match. And so there's also this time factor of energy where every hour of the day, it's actually different how much energy is being produced that customers can use and obviously the price of that power. And so software, what we're enabling in Arcadia is really disentangling some of that traditional structure to give customers more power, uh, pardon the pun, uh, over the choices of where they get energy, when they use it, how much it costs. And obviously, core to our mission is making sure more and more people have options to get cleaner energy, right? Uh, clean electrons that are not uh, polluting our atmosphere uh, when they get generated and produced. And software will help enable a massive supply-demand match. Um, I frankly think this is the largest, when you think about the energy transition away from fossil fuels across transportation, the built environment, I think it's one of the largest markets, period, right? And uh, you need software to actually manage uh, this well. So both the data in your home, how you're using energy, how much it costs over every hour of the day, and how to actually connect you to, for example, community solar projects that we manage. Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to kind of unwrap how you discovered the opportunity in major hypothesis this market would exist, because I want to frame things up in the old way, because that's what I know, of course, the old way, right? The old way, like you suggested, was, hey, I have a home. It's powered by an electric utility company, as far as my knowledge goes. I don't really know that I have choice. You know, I consume power. I turn it on. Power comes in. I'm happy. I pay my bill. I call it a day. At no point was I ever presented. And, you know, for example, I just moved into my house in 2016, for example. At no point was I presented this option like, oh, do you even want power from your local place? I'm like, it wasn't, that was not an option, right? I just sat down. The moment I sat down in my house, it was already, the lines were dug. It was set to go. Are there places now today, right now in the United States, where you can automate, you're, it's already here where consumers are actively choosing, like, hey, listen, I actually don't want it from this plant because uh, for whatever reason. Describe how it is, I guess, in its current state today of like where energy optionality is, is and how many people have this option. Like, Give us an idea of this landscape. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, the option didn't really exist for a long time, right? I yeah. Mean, something like a century. Uh, it was a single centralized grid. Uh, and, and a monopoly distribution utility. So you, you moved into a home, like you described, yep. and you, you paid the power company and it, it was what it was. Um, now there's sort of two big things, right? Trends that have changed that. One is clean distributed energy. So not just taking whatever the utility says they'll provide you, which mostly has been in the past, at least coal, natural gas, fossil fuels, but actually saying, hey, I want to choose a different type of electron, right? And so there are places in the US today where you can make that choice as a business, as, a, as someone who pays a power bill, right? And we help enable mm -hmm. that. The second thing is there's so much more happening what's called behind the meter, which basically means in the home, right? And so you now have so much more control over how you use energy during the day because of things like smart thermostats, electric vehicles, smart appliances. Now, that those trends are sort of moving, uh, you know, exponentially in the same direction, right? The customer is getting more and more and more options in the home of how energy is getting used. And obviously, there's so much more clean energy being put onto the grid. And so we operate in the middle to help customers sort of make those choices in the markets where it's available to get cleaner energy. And frankly, with a lot of the community solar projects we manage, 
cheaper, cleaner energy. Uh, it's like the best of both worlds. I guess how many households, I guess, have this option? Because, and do I have this option? Like, do I not even know that I have this option today? I'm curious how like someone who's listening here is like, hey, I, I've never really thought of it. How, how I get my energy? Yeah. So in the U.S., so the U.S. is, is you know, 50 states and it can feel like 50 different energy markets. And so when you think about customer choices, in almost half the U.S., customers can choose uh, a new what's called retail energy provider. So someone actually, mm. you know, buy electrons for them from a different source. In about 15 states in the U.S., you can connect directly to a community solar project. And that's where you don't have to put a power plant on your roof. You can connect to a project in your neighborhood, in your town. And our software helps manage that. So you're getting cheaper energy from that project on your local grid. Um, and then obviously there's, you know, almost in all 50 states, you can put solar on your roof if you have a roof for it. Mm -hmm. Whether it's incredibly economic or not depends on the state market. But these are like some of the different options. Now, what I just described to you is really confusing, right? <laughs> it really depends. Like we, we also say internally that your clean energy destiny is sort of determined by your zip code in America, right? Yeah, that makes sense. I'm here in the D.C., you know, DMV area. And in the district, we have community solar options, competitive energy market, a really strong rooftop solar market. In Virginia, you have almost none of that. Uh, you will have community solar in 2020, at the end of this year and into 2023. Um, and so the, those, that complexity is part of what we manage through software, abstracting away all that complexity so that a new energy company, an EV company, a solar company can use our software to make it really easy to deliver these products no matter where you live. Give me an idea. How did you see this coming? Because one of the things that I can bet on, and even if you know a macroeconomic trend is going to happen, one of the things is that I, someone once joked with me was like, hey, never bet on the speed of government because this is not a good bet to win, <laughs> right? So, you know, energy is highly regulated. We already know that, right? So what were you thinking? What did you learn that say, hey, I'm going to build a tool for this, knowing that this market doesn't, isn't going to quite move or traditionally has not moved as fast as it is today. I mean, definitely when you first broke ground and you were writing, you're dropping your first lines of code and what, like, I don't even know what the world looked like at that time, but you had to be predicting something was going to happen in the future. Give us an idea of what you were betting on. Yeah. It's funny you mention that because I used to work in government. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, it was actually that experience that helped, that sort of launched me into thinking about energy choice, energy markets. When you think about you know, everything I just described, the complexity of the different sort of products that are available to consumers now and that will in the future, especially with more and more EVs and battery storage in homes. There's an amazing uh, supply and demand problem uh, that needs to get solved. Software, uh, basically millions of machines <laughs> um, are sort of perfectly suited to this massive problem that is, if we're going to have millions and billions of nodes on the grid that are responding to energy, what's the best way to manage that as software? So when you ask, like, you know, I'd always sort of thought of Arcadia as a data company. And ultimately, I think the, the sort of utility of the future is a data business, because what you are managing is intermittent power generation. Let's just assume we're going to a, a world of, you know, wind, solar batteries, right? So power generation that changes through hours of the day, that's not always on like it was in the past. And then billions of devices in, in homes and businesses that need to be matched to that power. And 
you know, one of the core insights was if we're going to rapidly decarbonize, someone has to be the data lake in between all of that. You know, how are you using energy in your home? What products and devices are in the home that can respond to different energy prices? What's going on on the grid? What's being produced at what times? And being able to manage all of that data for companies, you know, that we work with, like, um, you know, Sonova, or STEM, Sunrun, uh, EV companies. So there, you know, that, that core idea was like, clearly people wanted cheaper, cleaner energy. We were going to have to electrify and get off fossil fuels. Yeah. Right? That was just like a given. Whether or not the government said it, like it was going to happen. <laughs> right. And that's been the trend, actually. Um, and then knowing that there was going to be someone that sort of manages the data that to help uh, operate um, what will be a much more distributed energy network than what we have today. So it sounds like it's a marketplace, two-sided marketplace, right? Where your software is, you know, like if I'm a, let's say I'm, I don't know, I, a, a solar field or farm, you call them a community solar project. I set one up and I say, hey, I want to sell power in, right? I need someone to help me find customers. That's where Arcadia comes in. But then on the marketplace, you need to have customers that on the other side that want to find power, Right. And so, and ultimately this will lead to, like you said, a data company. So what, I, I guess, what dominoes started falling, how did it start beginning? Because we always talk about marketplaces, right? It's if, you have, if you're overloaded on one side, you won't be for long because <laughs> people will back out. You need both sides to like grow almost together, right? Um, how did you go about doing that? What were you convincing companies of at the time? Because this is obviously a groundbreaking solution. On a, I, I know this on a consumer side, like I live in North Carolina. Totally not aware that we can choose our electricity. And the fact that we can choose our electricity, like some communities in the United States can already choose their electricity. I mean, it makes total sense. Um, but I can tell you that in my town, it's not available. No, no, we're not there. We're not there in North Carolina yet. Um, uh, you, you can basically just buy carbon credits or renewable certificates. Yeah. So, um, you know, specifically in community solar, right? So, so like you mentioned, like a solar developer builds a project uh, let's say it's in New York, uh, where we manage a huge swath of, of that market. You know, what's unique about these projects is it's not tied to a single person buying the power. Right. And that's what actually makes it, makes it a little less risky than the single like rooftop solar project where you can move and right, there's nobody there to buy the power anymore. But, you know, they're not willing to build until uh, the demands there, like you said, right. it's really a supply demand matching. And like a lot of tech businesses, the lever here is, is demand. If you can prove demand, um, developers will go build. Right. And so we've been, we actually built, um, you know, we built our software to actually, uh, you know, get the, the most basic behavior to engage consumers, which is paying a power bill. Mm -hmm. So we actually manage utility payments, uh, for customers, in all 50 states, uh, you know, almost close to half a million customers. And in building that demand pool, actually, you know, just, of just people paying their power bill with no, you know, even before there was a promise of getting cheaper, cleaner energy, helped build the, the demand side of the marketplace so that suppliers would come to us and say, hey, we want to go build a project now. Oh, you already have the customers. Great. You've de-risked a lot of this for us. And so, you know, there's still a balancing act where, we need to make sure there's enough supply, right, for, for that demand or else, like, you know, they won't, won't retain uh, for the long haul. But, you know, I will say broadly, like, that idea of cheaper, cleaner energy 
uh, it's pretty easy, pretty great sale. Um, you yeah, know, like, yeah. Everyone wants that. Everybody wants it, right? Yeah. Uh, but there's still there's still an education gap uh, in the U.S. between you know, like you said, most people just never thought about it, put it on autopilot. That's right. And so we still have a little bit of work to do there. But uh, you know, like like a lot of marketplaces, demand has sort of been driving supply for us. So as you're talking about this, it reminded me of another company that was on our show. And they were trying to describe the power system. And I wanted, I want to restate what they said. Oh, I'm paraphrasing, of course. Um, and then I'd love for you to hear your opinion, like say, like, hey, this is exactly how it goes, or this is, and this is why the technology was going to be disruptive. They suggested that the the problem with the power company is like the reverse of he says it's not like the internet where you lay down the cables and then some people use it goes to capacity, it goes down, right? And so, but you're just charging for capacity. Yeah, that's the way the internet works is like, uh, for those of you guys that don't know, you buy lines, like literally you're buying how big of a line is to your house, right? So power, he said, is I have to fill electricity, like my machine has to pump electricity into the pipe, like water, right? So I have to constantly create it. And then I don't ever get to predict when anyone uses it, right? But I have to constantly keep it full because if there's not enough wattage, or none of volts, whatever, everybody notices. That's when you have rolling blackouts. Things start not working, right? So I'm constantly filling it up. And so when I hear what you're talking about in the in like maybe, I don't know how many years away we are from this, but having a data system that can actually tell me exactly how much energy do I need to make right now so that everyone has what they need, but not make any more. Because he said, unlike internet or unlike water, it's quick, I guess electricity is quickly I guess it deteriorates over time. Is that right? Like it basically, like if I create electron, like it doesn't last forever. Like it'll lose its it'll lose its strength over time. Is that right? Like it can't just live in the pipe unless you store it in a battery. It's sort of instantaneously gone, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like you're saying it's instantaneous. Okay. So that's alarming, right? So I'm constantly making stuff that just doesn't get consumed potentially. Uh, that's that's effectively why electricity is such a area to to clean up. I mean, did I did I do a good job? And I'd love for you to piggyback. Like, am I right or wrong? <laughs> no, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, so that's absolutely right. Like when you think about the old grid, it was one way. So the suppliers had to produce always, hopefully, a little more than a hundred percent of what the demand was at any given moment, so that they didn't yeah. have those blackouts. Right. So you had this. You still had this this game to play, but it was one way. The customer basically didn't you know, didn't play a role other than in sort of the matching. It was just supply always had to be more than demand. And where we're moving to is a world where actually demand can be price responsive and responsive to supply. So I'll give you a great example. Like we have software where if you have an electric vehicle, you know, we can actually tell you basically what is the cheapest time to charge and Mm. what is maybe the least carbon intensive time to charge. And all of that actually benefits the ultimate supplier because we're sort of charging around any price signals that they send, basically saying if it's really expensive to produce power at noon, then but like very cheap to produce power at midnight, you know, we can we can charge at those times. You know, I'd also say like my personal, like if you'd ask me, you know, where does this market go in five, 10 years? I think we're still in this like scarcity mindset of like there's only so much power 
like the wind only shines, the sun only, or uh, the wind only blows, the sun only shines yeah. so much. Yeah, we'll hear it all the time about like solar panels. Like it only generates this much, like a kilowatt. It only generates this many kilowatt hours. And then you'll see the counter of it where someone will say like, hey, guess what? With like 100 square miles in, in the desert, for example, it, it's going to create enough solar to, to power the whole United States or something or power the whole country. I think there's sort of two things wrapped in this, I, I believe strongly. Like one is we obviously have to get off fossil fuels. So we have to get off carbon emitting power generation fuels. And we have the technology to do that. We just need to you know, do what you said, deploy it yeah. in deserts, in the Midwest, create the transmission lines. But then after that, it's like, if we want to like continue to make amazing pharmaceutical drugs and go to the moon, go to the, go to Mars and like, you know, all of this stuff requires energy. And so yeah. I really think we should be planning for a future where energy is just abundant and clean uh, rather than, I think a lot of the conversation today is around, oh, well, you know, it's still about sacrifice or we yeah, yeah. Less, use these different times. And I, I, I do believe that in the future, like, not only will we move to cleaner energy sources, but we'll start understanding more that like, you know, building as much electricity as possible to use for all sorts of different innovations is like good for us, good for the economy. There's just like a different mindset than I think we've been in the last century of, you know, like I, I, I kind of feel like we should get to a future where like, it doesn't matter if you turn the lights off when you leave the room <laughs> because it's all clean and it's abundant. But I mean, that makes total sense. I'm curious. I'd love to hear your perspective on why. So like I compare it to the internet, right? Everyone was in an absolute race to create as much infrastructure as possible to support endless internet. We're talking about transoceanic cables that are, I don't know if you guys have ever, if anyone's listening, go look up on YouTube, how big yeah, it's amazing. the transatlantic cables or transpacific cables are that, that provide internet that connect Australia to the United States, for example. These things are massive. They like they they are bigger than buildings. Like this is not a line. <laughs> this is absolutely huge infrastructure. We did it already in the United States. Cell towers, new lines. Like we basically dropped a whole new layer of infrastructure on top of the existing telephone line system. So like kind of like, Kieran, I'd love to hear why why hasn't there been a race to develop this? Because like from what I've read, the technology is here. And someone was like, well, then it's just got to get ported from you know let's let's use Death Valley. Death Valley has more than hundred square miles to so say like, Hey, let's build this huge solar farm or wind farm, whatever we want to build. And then you'd have to run lines to an infrastructure grid that can support it and store it. Like you suggested, why is there not a race for this? Ultimately it's a political problem. Like, look, there are antagonists in this business, right? It's the people that own fossil fuel plants, it's the, the old guard, the incumbents. And you know, that didn't really exist. You know, the analogy you make to the internet is a good one. Um, I'm not totally sure who the antagonists were. Like everybody wanted more compute power. We still want more compute yeah. power. And like the move to cloud has, I, I think one, just to extend the analogy further in everything you just said, building those lines, building the data centers, moving everything to the cloud. Cell towers, all that stuff. Yeah, cell towers. What is it enabled? Like incredible innovation, right? Yeah. Absolutely amazing like innovation. And I feel like the same thing would happen if we did what you described you know, solar everywhere, wind farms, offshore, onshore, transmission lines, we would unlock innovation that like, I probably couldn't even describe to you now because people had abundant energy. And yeah. to be clear, like, look, China, parts of Europe are like, they're deploying clean energy faster than we are in the US. But I think, you know, in some ways we need to like, 
it's a political battle and it can often be geographic and there are incumbents that stand to lose money from their fossil fuel power plants. So, so that is part of the problem plaguing us. But I love the analogy to the internet because it's like anyone should just like, you know, take a cursory look at, you know, how much better is my life because of like this amazing supercomputer in my hand that's enabled by just unbelievable amount of compute power. We should do the same thing with electricity. Yeah. I mean, the the size of, like I, I i only bring that up because i got to see firsthand how big the infrastructure required to su- support the cloud is it this is not a little modem that you have in your house <laughs> like, right. or like data centers if you're driven because you're li- up in the dc area yeah. if you go through ashburn area where all the data centers are like it's just cinder block buildings as far as the eye can see totally. and of course i'm sure when they went to get their permits to build these things like you said, there just wasn't the same level of resistance, which is weird. Like these, these buildings are massive. They are massive, just giant gray blocks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're not pretty, but they are huge economic drivers, right? For, for Northern Virginia. Oh yeah. When you think for yourself, like, you know, one of the things I was thinking as you were describing for yourself, the, um, the technology behind Arcadia, I was thinking about, is it a pure software play? And how, if so, how does it get all the data it needs? Because if you're monitoring electronic consumption across multiple areas, are you plugged into the devices? Are all devices able to read back to you? Because, well, I know for for a fact, water meters are, and I believe electric meters, they're still read by people. Like they come around every now and then to check your your box. Everyone's got a box at the edge of their house that says how many kilowatt hours have been consumed. And so uh, for those of you listening that have ever gotten a spike in your power bill, but you didn't feel like you spiked power, I want you to know that they've been estimating how much power they send you. And they came out and looked at the box and said, we're going to true this up. <laughs> we can talk about that for hours. Uh, yeah. So I don't know how you're getting the data. <laughs> so, 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 um, yeah, we, so I think this is actually one of the, the insights. Um, so the, there's actually been, you know, in the last, I would say, decade or two, over 100 million smart meters deployed in the U.S. So these are smarter than the meters you described. <laughs> they may still have that, you know, ticker. They got the dial, yeah. Yeah, but they, they also can feed data back. And look, billions of dollars have been spent on creating uh, digital accounts, you know, with your utility for your home or your business, where a lot of that data is being surfaced. So we built a, on the consumer side, or you should say the, the sort of end customer side, We've built something very similar to Plaid in the fintech space where we can basically pull uh, data from your account to understand how you used energy, what the costs were. Mm. On the other side of the business, on the B2B side, like we are integrated with what's called the inverter of a solar farm. So that is like the brain of the farm. How much is it producing, et cetera? And part of our roadmap is sort of build out those connections across different devices. So EV chargers, electric vehicles, okay. uh, thermostats, et cetera. But that's sort of the two sides of the data, the data lake that we're building. Um, on one end, what you just described, data through your utility account on what is the meter, how much are you consuming? What is the meter reading? And sometimes that can be every 15 seconds uh, if it's a smart meter. And then on sort of the, the, the generation or device side, you know, starting to pull in more and more data on yeah, how much how much solar was produced right this hour as well yeah and are you starting to see like because people always talk about marketplaces how flywheel effects happen right so if you have more consumers and there's more suppliers and there's more suppliers and it gets cheaper so now there's more consumers and just keeps on rotating 
Is that starting to happen? Are more power companies reaching out to Arcadia and saying, hey, listen, we want to hook into this system. And then, of course, that makes cheaper electricity available or cleaner electricity alternatives, as you suggested, available to general consumers. Yeah, I mean, it's the same dynamics playing out it, uh, that I think you've seen across other um, sort of platform businesses. I think what's most exciting about, about that in energy is, you know, I think, and what maybe I'm most proud of is I feel like we've actually moved the market mm. uh, quite a bit, like especially in community solar. Like when I started this business, that idea of someone building a community solar project, connecting it to, you know, uh, someone in a- I want to build one. Yeah, it was in, it was in like <laughs> two states. Uh, yeah. And now it's in 16. I think we played a role in that because we were able to show like liquidity on, on the marketplace that there was demand. Yeah. And, and that flywheel started moving where people saw demand, they saw projects going live, more suppliers were coming, more customers. Uh, so it's been, it's been exciting to see that. And I think if we do our job right, like we could have a, a really big effect in sort of growing this market faster than it maybe would have without us. What are your blockers preventing this, this optionality? You know, look, a lot of it is uh, regulatory, <laughs> going <Yeah>. back to... <laughs> Um, like I said, there are various antagonists in different places. That being said, there's also states that are like full, full steam ahead. Like Illinois has yeah. got a goal of a gigawatt of, you know, new clean energy, a gigawatt's a lot, uh, to put it in, <laughs> in, 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 uh, simple terms. And, you know, the other is, you know, part of what you just described, like we need every meter in America to be smart, uh, not just you know, certain people like there's a lot of dumb meters, like you mentioned, where people are estimating or they're, they're yeah. counting it once a month. And so that telemetry from devices, from meters uh, is continually getting better. But that's also, you know, something where we need to invest in creating a better grid. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And we need more people such as yourself trying to solve these problems, because these are the problems I think like people, uh, you know, I just don't know if young people, young engineers, new engineers, and the next crop of engineers, if they're if they're if they know the like the market, they 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 know the problem exists. Kind of, you said yourself, you had to work in government policy, and you kind of saw it firsthand. Like, hey, this is the way we can do this with the software perspective. But as many fresh eyes as possible on the problem, and I agree with you, the problem is now big enough where I think more people are concerned or interested in solving it. They might not know how yet, and so when they start discovering these options. This is where it's going to start innovating really fast. Yeah, I like to say we we attract a lot of missionaries to the company, right? Yeah, people who really give a damn about fighting climate change and and you know, and what's most exciting maybe is like in recent uh, in the recent years, like a lot of folks from big tech, you know, who had maybe never thought about energy or climate, but you know had worked on massive scaling problems, right, at other tech companies. Yeah massive data problems, um, uh, coming to join us and, and frankly, the industry, uh, which is great to see. Um, but to your point, it is, um, because it's so highly regulated and so balkanized, like can be very difficult for people to sort of step into like thinking about energy and how they can play a role. But it is exciting to see like a lot of new talent jumping in and being interested in, in energy and climate. By the way, this is secondary. I always thought that the the narrative got lost when it came to climate change because it is so disputable. I always felt like the people should have focused on 
pollution, like just straight up pollution, the amount of microchemical that's going to be in your water, that's going to be in your air would have been a maybe a better platform because that's really hard to argue for. You know what I mean? Like that's like. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt we <laughs> have not gone about the the communications and, and marketing of this problem correctly, right? It's way too yeah. difficult. Um, <laughs> like Al Gore with the PowerPoint presentation was not you know, maybe the 500 best. slides. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> and I think we're still working on that. Like I love, you know, uh, Netflix, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio doing a movie. That's one big allegory yeah. about uh, climate change, but I agree. Like pollution is like, that's a dinner table issue. Like, uh, I mean, you know, dirty water, dirty air, asthma, like those are the the outcomes, right. Of burning fossil fuels. And I think those are the things we need to talk about more. That, yeah, that, I think that's the key is, you know, because when they talk about, uh, for example, like the number one probably resistance factor to, I would say, nuclear, nu- more nuclear energy um, is people don't want to live next to those plants. Like that's like, that's the, like, where are you going to put them? Like that, that, that's where people are really, really concerned. Right. Um, and so I think people are naturally going to self, they want to preserve themselves first. And, uh, and I, I just don't see a place where anyone's like, yeah, I'm, I'm pro like dumping carbon offset product byproduct, you know, which is like, you know, sludge and stuff like in my, near me, near my water supply. There's no one for that. So like, I didn't always, that's just my personal opinion. I have no facts to prove it. <laughs> I mean, I think it's right. You know, people can look up like these coal ash ponds. Oh, it's got, that happened in North Carolina where Duke energy, like it spilled out in the water. Mad people got sick. Tons of livestock died. It was like a huge ecological disaster. They got fined, like, you know, a drop in the bucket. And we, so look, we, we've got to, and look, I will say a lot of utilities are, thinking about their own clean energy future at the end of the day as a business like they own the network they own the wires right yeah never going to rebuild the wires that's like a trillion dollar infrastructure (laughs) problem and so you know for their future too it's it's uh customers want cleaner energy they just got to figure out how to actually manage it and um deliver it uh and i think that's where we can be helpful too is you know starting to build this network across utilities of what we're doing to be able to share that knowledge as well and work with utilities who are trying to get up to speed. But I think that's the future of the industries. They look more and more like, like the airport, right? They're the enabler, Mm -hmm. but you and I have a choice of what airline we want to fly. Right. 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 Um, That's, that's where I actually see the future of this. And I think there's a, there's an amazing role for the utilities to play. It's just that, that transition is, is a big one, right? It's a huge one for these companies to make. No, that makes total sense. Kieran, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing what your company, Arcadia, is doing. Uh, you know, at, when someone learns about it for the first time, they might think it was just a company that's trying to monetize electricity. I don't know what's going on here, but like, I love the bigger mission. And thanks for explaining it because it's one of those things where it's not really, like, I think it's something that people, like you said, everyone uses, but no one really puts much thought into like, how is power created? How is it distributed? How can it be better? So I think that's, Definitely going to change the conversation going forward. It is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. And Kieran, this is where we ask you questions outside of the realm of work so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. All right, you ready? Let's go. All right. We do a little homework on all of our guests, and we see that you belong to WWF. Is that accurate? Yeah, I um, have been uh, involved with the World Wildlife Fund for a few years now, and 
uh, obviously as an environmentalist, like, you know, species collapse and taking care of endangered species is like, you know, near and dear to my heart. There you go. I mean, it's pretty much canary in the coal mine, right? If certain animals are dying off, like why, why would just one animal die off? I mean, let's think about it. Right. Then I got to ask, what's your favorite animal? <laughs> uh, my my four year old's currently obsessed with uh, tigers, and I just found out there's only about three thousand in the wild uh, in the world, uh, which is an uptick from twenty six hundred. But man, we've got work to do. There you go. You said you live near the DC or in the DC area. How often do you go to the National Zoo? Oh, often, uh, especially <laughs> during COVID, uh, especially with little kids. Uh, we're there very often. I don't think many people know this, but I mean, the beautiful thing about D.C., and you know, if you grew up there, everything's free. Yeah. Yeah. The very first time someone told me it cost money to go to a zoo, I was taken aback. I was like, what? <laughs> right? Or a museum. Someone's like, it costs money to go to this museum. I'm like, what are you talking about? What's in there? Like, <laughs> One of the best places in America to have kids, and, and given the city's expensive, but like, you get to go to these things for free. So uh, Yeah. Yeah. I remember being... Like, is it better than the Smithsonian? I just can't imagine that to be true because this Smithsonian's free and you, you're wanting to charge me $20. <laughs> exactly. What do you like to do for fun outside of work? I've been trying to become a better cyclist. You know, getting out, being close to Rock Creek Park is nice. And so getting out on the bike and, uh, has been therapeutic. Oh, that's awesome. Our producer, Jana, is an avid cyclist. Would you say you're really good? Uh, I say I'm getting better. I was mostly training for a triathlon. Uh, and now I'm trying to, trying to get more distance in. Awesome. We, um, we did a little homework. We saw that you're also an author. Is that correct? Mud Creek medicine. Yes. Uh, yes. You guys did some homework. Uh, yeah, it's an amazing biography. Uh, I grew up in Eastern Kentucky and, um, there's a woman from my hometown that my father worked for who built one of the first community health centers, uh, in the U S. And so, after I left Capitol Hill, I, uh, it was during the healthcare debate, actually, I, I wrote her biography and, uh, it was an amazing, it's an amazing story of an entrepreneur. Yeah. Tell us what it's about. Yeah. I mean, she, you know, Eula, um, you know, no education, you know, grew up in, in deep poverty, um, just had this idea that there needed to be a healthcare option in her community. And so she built, uh, this community health center called the Mud Creek Clinic in Appalachian part of Kentucky. And uh, my father was one of the physicians who helped in the clinic, you know, treating patients that just had nowhere else to go. Um, and so an incredible story of, you know, this woman starting this, this clinic in her own sort of trials and tribulations. Uh, I think really what I was trying to do is tell a broader story about sort of the lack of care and poverty in the U.S. Yeah, it sounds like a remarkable person. And surely that gives you enough fuel to write a book. I'm curious, last question, what made you decide to write the story though? Because, um, and then of course, will you be writing another book? Uh, yeah. I mean, at the time I was, you know, we were talking about health reform in the U S we had a personal family connection. Um, obviously my, my father working there and, uh, my boss, the Congressman from Louisville, who I worked for used to be a writer. And I remember he sort of encouraged me to to tell this story, right? Otherwise the story yeah. wouldn't have been told. And someone tried to write a movie about her life and it was, um, she had gotten it stopped because it was sort of a terrible portrait of life <laughs> in Appalachia. And so I was like, all right, I'll, I'll take my hand at this. And yeah, I'm glad we did. I'm glad I did it. It was a, it was a difficult uh, project, but I'm glad her story, she passed away actually um, last year. And so I'm glad her story lives on. 
Um, that is awesome. And how about another book? Is there another character you think oh, that will man. inspire you to write another book? Yeah, that was a unique. I, I've always been a huge fan of biographies. I think telling life stories is like and, and reading and, and knowing them is important. Um, I don't know. I got this company to build. There's a lot going on, <laughs> um, maybe down the road. Well, Karen, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing a little bit about your personal life, man. I mean, you are a super dynamic individual. You're talking about growing up in Kentucky, writing books, working in politics, now running a software company, helping the world out. I mean, it's pretty awesome. You've been an awesome guest and you're a great story. Everyone ask for Arcadia. Where is it? Why don't you have access to it? Why don't you have more energy options? That's right. I love it. Thanks, Albert. Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Mm-hmm.